Hello, this is Pilar Gerasimo, and today we'll be mapping healthy deviance on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess slow it all down as we'll talk about today, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Pilar Gerasimo. Pilar Gerasimo is an award-winning health journalist, pioneering social explorer, and author of The Healthy Deviant, a rule-breaker's guide to being healthy in an unhealthy world. Best known for her work as founding editor of Experience Life magazine, which today reaches more than 3 million people with each issue, Pilar has also served as a top health editor for the Huffington Post and as visiting faculty for the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. She guest lectures at universities, leads workshops at top retreat centers, and consults for organizations committing to transforming health and happiness at work and around the globe. When she's not traveling, Pilar hangs out on an organic communal family farm in Wisconsin with her pit bull pal, Calvin. Pilar, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm so excited to speak with you today. I'm so happy to be here with you, Andrea. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. Your book, The Healthy Deviant, which we'll link in the show notes, is truly brilliant. In it, I love how you say, and this is a quote, a healthy deviant is any person who willingly defies unhealthy norms and conventions in order to achieve a high level of vitality, resilience, and autonomy, end quote. And there are so many other mic drop pull quotes in the book that belong on all of our social media channels. But can you start us off by talking into how you got to this notion of a healthy deviant? Yeah. You know, so much of it was a combination of my professional work as a health journalist. I ran the magazine Experience Life Founded, that magazine with Lifetime back in the day. Experience Life magazine was the first whole person healthy living magazine. And in the course of running it for 15 years, I kept hearing from people that they knew what they quote unquote should do, but they really struggled with how to get that done, how to manage it. And my own personal experience as a health seeker was that every time I tried to do the things I thought I was supposed to be doing, it was made so difficult by the society that I was in that I got frustrated and down on myself. And it actually really enhanced my frustration trying to do the things that socially were almost impossible. So what I found was that in order to be a healthy person in an unhealthy world, I had to go up against all of these conventional norms and patterns. And that took energy and vitality and resilience I did not have at the time. So ultimately, 
being willing to defy those conventions for me became a necessary part of choosing to be healthy. And I've spent the rest of my career figuring out how to help people do that. So you call that, I think, the healthy default, and you're talking about defying conventions. What are those conventions? Most of the things that we'd think of as being normal things to do tend to have not great health outcomes. For example, eating processed foods is much more normal now than eating whole foods. That's a default. If you walk into any restaurant on the street or into a grocery store, you'll see that most of the foods tend to be based on processed ingredients. The same thing is true of sedentary pastimes being more common now than active ones. Observing schedules that have you sleeping at night and being awake only during the daylight hours is increasingly less common. People are awake at all hours. And the idea of living in a go, go, go rhythm of life versus taking breaks, those things are normal, but they don't work to the advantage of our health. And doing healthy things is generally forces you to do abnormal, unconventional, unpopular, or inaccessible things. So yeah, the default reality is an unhealthy default reality, and choosing to be healthy requires a form of social deviance. There's this balancing act between those conventions that you're speaking about and these other conventions in the health spaces that I know you and I are so familiar with, where there's so much pressure to do everything perfectly, to eat a certain way, to be on a ketogenic diet and intermittent fasting. And how do we balance as deviants between those two polarities, maybe what's happening when we go home to our families and then what's happening in in our bubbles or our healthy, quote unquote, social circles. <laughs> yeah, that's such a common problem that you know, you're choosing to do one thing in one part of your life and then finding yourself in another social environment and it becoming almost impossible to maintain. Yeah, you know, I... I I will say this, I have huge compassion for anybody who's a health seeker these days, because on the one hand, we're being presented with another thing and another thing and another thing, another program, a subscription, a product, a pill, a powder. And most patients who are choosing to be healthy, even when they go to functional practitioners, often end up overwhelmed with the long list of prescriptions and protocols that they're confronted with. And I think it's really important for us to remember that most folks are going into their health-seeking already depleted and overwhelmed, and that's part of why they're running into health issues. So I really think it's important to begin with acknowledging that you will run into and must be prepared for there being resistance. And I really advocate for helping people focus first on the three nonconformist competencies of healthy deviants rather than throwing them into a very complicated protocol. And the three nonconformist competencies, as I see them, are first, amplified awareness. You have to notice what's going on inside you and around you that is triggering unhealthy choices and behaviors, as well as noticing when you're feeling good, what is it you did differently that's working better? And when you start to embark on, for example, a functional medicine protocol or a nutrition protocol, What's working for you? What's delivering great results? What can you celebrate? <laughs> the second nonconformist competency I call preemptive repair. And I think this really gets at the heart of what you're talking about, Andrea, that in order for people to take on the additional challenge of following a, a prescription or protocol or get on a program and stay with it, they need to rebuild enough what I call mojo to do that. And that often involves getting ahead of the damage that's done to us just by virtue of living in what I call the unhealthy default reality. So if you're depleted and exhausted and overwhelmed, 
It may make more sense to focus on rekindling your energy and amplifying your awareness and just resetting your nervous system to something a bit more calm and focused before you dive into another thing and another thing and another thing. And the third thing, you know, the third nonconformist competency, which is continuous growth and learning, really picks up there once you're paying attention and you're treating yourself with enough respect to reclaim some focus and energy and mojo, then you can begin taking on the challenge of learning new things and acquiring new competencies and skill sets. And I really emphasize to folks, this is about skill building, not just about complying with a program. This is about learning how to do a whole bunch of new things that you and your colleagues and the folks in your programs are wonderful at teaching people about. It's just really important to have the compassion of knowing when you're putting all this new information into a person's brain that's already overwhelmed and freaked out, you don't want to end up doing more harm than good by having them then feel like I'm incapable and this is too hard and I'm just going to give up. That's really a big, big part of healthy deviance is reclaiming the autonomy to do what you want to be able to do for yourself. I love this so much, Pilar. I mean, I actually just wrote this morning about that nonconformist competency number one, that amplified awareness. I like to think of it as our feedback loop or our nonviolent communication with self. When I recently interviewed Dr. Terry Walls, she called it her biosensor, right? Like, what are these things that we are tuning into with this kind of generous listening in? It's not this hypervigilance. It's this just deeper awareness awareness. And as you know, in functional medicine and functional nutrition, we call this our mediator. This is how we find our mediators. But what I love most about what you're talking about is this kind of reset that we need to do before we're diving into this bucket load of supplements or this hardcore dietary protocol because we're already in this alarm state. We're already in the fight or flight for some reason. I'll just share that for myself, one of the practices that I've included in this new year for myself is to do posture exercises every day because I feel like I needed a reset and that felt like a really simple, nourishing way to work on a new thing at a core level. And it's so nourishing. I'm waking up and doing it every morning. And it's not about like, you know, being in the gym an hour a day. I love that. It's really important, I think, to find also a way to begin the day that gets you off to an early win. <laughs> you know, so many people just launch into their day by looking at their cell phone or their calendar or their email. And I really advocate for what I call the morning minutes practice. This is a, one of the re three renegade rituals I talk about in the book. But it's a way of, in that first few minutes when you wake up, just choosing to do anything that feels good to you, whether it's a posture or a breathing exercise, or for me, sometimes it's just stepping outside the door and listening for what's on the breeze, you know, birds or wind or wind, the trees rustling. Sometimes I'm just petting my dog. But I find that so many people, they wake up and, you know, even if it's a supposedly healthy thing, they're launching themselves into a full-blown exercise program, you know, or like forcing themselves to drink some smoothie that they're not interested in drinking yet. And I really want to give people permission to listen to that inner voice. I love what you said about Terry Walls, that sensor. What would feel good now? And giving them, again, giving them back to themselves to listen to what would feel good right now that isn't plugging me in to the unhealthy default reality. So 
I think that some practice like getting up and making yourself a cup of tea before you turn the lights on brightly, lighting a beeswax candle, sitting and just saying, would it feel good to move? Would it feel good to play an instrument or pet my dog or cat? Just doing something in that theta state, those first few moments of waking when we're so vulnerable and so impressionable, I feel like a really great way to intervene without having to feel stressed about it. And it's really interesting how many people have said to me, I never noticed that I am more emotionally vulnerable in the morning. I'm more impressionable. When I use that time for me, the rest of my day goes so much better. Yeah, it's a huge difference. And for me, not checking email or social media for four hours after I wake, like I'm making that time sacred where nobody gets to come in and interrupt. And again, This is like just, it's new, it's simple, it's little, but for me, I knew I needed a nervous system reset like you were talking about. And I love how you speak about the morning minutes. So you mentioned that there are three renegade rituals, one being the morning minutes. What are the others? The others are an ultradian rhythm break pattern, which is observing cycles of about 90 minutes of high output and productivity, followed by about 20 minutes of rest and recovery, which sounds crazy to people because they're like, I could never take that many breaks. But military science research shows that our bodies work in these rhythms that are just like our heartbeat or our eyes blinking. They're built into our nervous system. And everything in our system, not just our nervous system, our metabolism, our digestive system, operate on this cycle of 90 minutes of productivity and output followed by about 20 minutes of recovery, or what's called an ultradian healing response. And I actually shared this with Terry Walls when I was talking with her, and she's like, this is so great to have a name for this. I know this to be true, but a lot of people don't realize that this is like programmed into us, and when we fight it, it causes inflammation and immune problems and really limits our productivity and focus. That's the second renegade ritual, and I explain why and how that works. The third one is a nighttime wind-down practice, which a lot of people have heard now. It's important to have a digital sunset. It's important to kind of lower the volume, the intensity, the pace that you're moving at before you go to sleep. A sleep doctor I talked to recently talked about landing the plane, and it's sort of the opposite end of that morning minutes practice, choosing to wind down. And here's what I want to emphasize, because I know your audience is sophisticated enough, Andrea, to get this. It isn't just that these individual practices make a difference. It's that choosing to organize your days in this way has an extraordinary effect on your ability to recognize that choosing to do anything differently than other people typically do it in our society requires some focus, but the payback is extraordinary. And every single time you do one of these renegade rituals, and you realize you're doing it in the face of resistance, it will do two things. One, it will increase your sense of self-efficacy, your willingness and capacity to do something differently, (laughs) and your, your knowledge that you can do it. And if you can do one thing differently, you can do something else differently. The other really big thing it does is it shows you where you run into resistance and obstacles. And any intervention, even something as simple as taking three minutes in the morning just for yourself, If you start to notice what gets in the way of that, you will also notice the same stuff gets in the way of all the other healthy things you're trying to do, whether that's taking your supplements or observing your dietary protocol or getting more exercise or going to sleep. It's tough 
And at the same time, it's exhilarating. So when you realize you can do one of these small things, like taking a break or winding down, you start to get more empowered. And that, again, is that attitude of a healthy deviant. I can choose to do this even in the face of real challenges, even in the face of social resistance. Yeah, Pilar, you're making me think about how it would be really beneficial if when we're with a new client or patient, we're diving into the reality of their day and the rhythms of their day because oftentimes our day owns us and we don't own our day. And everybody has different realities of what they have to do in a day. They may have two jobs, four kids, whatever it is that we're all juggling. But where are the small places that we can take back part of our day and claim these rituals, these renegade rituals, as an act of defiance that moves towards health, which I feel like is also a bit of a dirty word these days, you know, health or healthy. (laughs) And so I love this repositioning it as an act of defiance. Yes. I think that's really empowering. And I think it's the truth. I think it's an untold part of the story. And I was just talking with a functional medicine physician yesterday who was saying that it feels like this is something that needs to get built in to the whole root cause mentality, that we need to go deeper than the root cause of an individual you know, isolated health problem or series of health problems and say, okay, yeah, sure, the the root cause is lifestyle, the root cause is all these unhealthy patterns, but what's producing those patterns? It's our society. It's not, I always say, it's not us, it's the UDR, it's the unhealthy default reality, it's not you. There's an illustration in my book where I really try to explain this visually that, you know, 2.5 million years of human history, we were programmed to live one way, And then post-agricultural revolution, we began living another. And that has produced this accelerating set of changes leading to the present moment where we are literally the first generation in the history of humanity to be living the way or trying to live the way we're living right now. And each of us is looking at each other going, wait, what's wrong with me? And advertising is ready to put up a billboard to say, here's what's wrong with you. Do you have a disease? Do you have an illness? Do you have a problem? Do you have a disorder? We have a solution for that. But the solutions don't really work because most of the time they don't get to the bottom of this, which is we're doing this in a context of craziness. And I think reclaiming not just those moments of your day, but your sense of yourself in the midst of that, the defiant self, as you said, I think that's such a great way to put it, it, it deserves a badge of courage, uh, and a, you know it's really something that you're doing in that larger context. I believe that a functional medicine really is committed to root cause approaches. We have to begin talking more about the underlying substrate, the structures of our society that are producing the unhealthy patterns that are then producing the downstream effects of illness. Yes, so well said, Pilar. And so much of what so many of us in functional medicine, functional nutrition may be doing is putting the gas on too fast for the client or patient. I say maybe, but I see it happening all the time, all over the place, where there's a right way to do things and we're not honoring the process for the individual. We're not celebrating the courage and the act of raising 
a hand and making sure that the process going forward truly matches the reality of the individual we're working with. And I think it's the practitioner and it's also the patient population. We think there are quick fixes. We don't necessarily want to go into the work, as you're calling it, of living a defiant life. Yes. I think that sense of identity, that switch of identity is really important. One way I like to think about it, Andrea, too, is, you know, I talk about the Healthy Deviant Heroes journey, and I know this is something that Terry Walls has talked about, too, really like honoring your own path. And it took you a while to get here. You know, most of us, uh, it's just another illustration in my book, you know, that describes this, but most of us, you know, start out pretty healthy as a kid. And then we'd kind of go down in this, you know, experience of compliance going along with our unhealthy society, eventually end up like in this dark, hard spot. Sometimes we hit bottom before we come back up. But I think helping our patients and clients understand that you're beginning a whole new phase of your journey. You're just beginning to come out of this difficult place. And it's great to acknowledge that that's a pivot point and that it is going to take some time and focus and energy. And it's better to honor that journey by beginning it from a place of relative strength and awareness. Really, again, paying attention as you might not have been for the past several decades of your life. Most of us have been trying to, you know, tune out our pain and discomfort really allowing that for that slow restart to begin. Even if you get some early easy wins that are more dramatic, reminding folks it's okay to move more slowly and you're going to get more out of noticing if you do. I think that's really helpful. Moving toward healthy deviance, in my mind, that switch of identity from a compliant go along with the status quo person to choosing my own path forward for my own benefit and seeing that not just as I'm going to get better and feel better, but like, wow, I'm going to reclaim my capacity, my identity as a human being to do and give what I want to give in the world. All of that is really powerful. And I think it elevates, for those of us who are you know, professionals or practitioners in this space, what it is we're really choosing to do, not just to fix problems, but to help to change lives and really the world. Yeah, so well said. Pilar, before I let you go, can you talk a little bit about what you term victim thinking, which is part of your healthy deviant adventure plan? I know we all encounter it with our clients and patients, and I hear it amongst our student practitioners. So how do you talk about victim thinking and what do we do about it? Yeah. Well, I think victim thinking is a natural outcome of living in the unhealthy default reality. You know, you want to talk about antecedents, <laughs> part of your matrix. <laughs> what is the setup for this, right? We've all been through burnout, exhaustion, overwhelm, inflammation, a feeling of not being able to keep up. And what that expresses that, what I call victim thinking, is this poor me feeling. No, no matter what I do, I can't make it work. My life is so hard. I know this feeling personally because I once got myself into such a freaked out, frustrated situation, feeling badly about my inability to do all the right things, eat all the right things, exercise the right way, hold down the right job, look the right way. I stomped my foot in a fit of frustration directed at myself so hard that I broke the bone in my foot. And my fifth metatarsal bone just cracked. And Andrea, it was like, I went from this feeling of being victimized, like poor me, how come this is happening to me? This is so hard to having this moment of clarity where I realized like, wait a minute, I just broke myself 
that's insane. I broke my skeleton, really. And then realizing, like, wait a minute. I've been breaking myself for a long time. My body has been throwing up all of these symptoms and flares. But to move beyond the feeling sorry for yourself and victimized into a kind of advocate for yourself, a champion for yourself, choosing to make this a beginning point in your hero's journey out of that space is really where I think it's at. That to me is like reclaiming your mojo and choosing to be the change. And again, I think it's helpful to elevate that. It's okay to meet people in a place of victimization and say, I can understand how hard this must feel to you because you are depleted. My goal is to help you reclaim enough of your energy and vitality, enthusiasm to realize there is a way out of this and it's your way. I'm gonna help guide you, but you're gonna choose this for yourself. They will get there. But again, sometimes I think we have to focus on returning them to themselves before we ask them to do anything new, or we will just contribute to the victimized feeling that they have. We don't want that. So important, Pilar. Your book, Healthy Deviant, is, I think, a really critical read for all practitioners because recognizing that journey and what's actually happening does, as you said, bring us back to one of the roots and really address part of what we might call mindset, part of what we might call environment. And there's so many aspects that are cultural in the health and hero's journey. Thank you so much, Pilar, for speaking with me today and for putting this work out into the world. Oh, it's my great pleasure, Andrea. Thank you so much for being a fellow healthy deviant. And, you know, like more of us on the healthy deviant trail, I think is what it's going to take to turn our world around. So I'm really happy to have this time with you. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.